Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Today we begin a new series. Um, uh, it's, a four, it's kind of part of a four-part series that I've been doing through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've been a part of it, we've been in it for a, a number, uh, like three or four months now. And in this series... Um, we're going to be looking at chapters 11 through 16 within this series. And I kind of had fun uh, when I was creating the title for this series. Uh, growing up, I watched a lot of the Three Musketeers. Anybody out there watch Three Musketeers? It was one of my favorite, you know, and the sword fighting and all that. And, and what was their phrase, their model when they would go out? It was all for one and one for all. That's what their model was. I, yes, and I was, man, I was so excited about that. And I was thinking about this series, and I was reading through those last chapters of 1 Corinthians, and I just saw that there was a common theme about uh, the, 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 uh, God's team, uh, the bride of Christ. And I saw this common theme. I thought, I'm going to reverse that and make that the title of this series, All for One and One, or One for All and All for One. Thank you for, I knew I was going to mess that up. One for all and all for one. And the reason I share it that way, because it's a reminder that Jesus is the one who died for all of our sins. He's the one, Jesus. That's why we are here today worshiping. It was Jesus, one for all. And because of that, all of us, guess what? We worship the Lord out of a heart of gratitude for the sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us. Um, Psalms 117 states these words. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Paul, in these final chapters, reminds us that it's not all about us. It's all about Jesus. And we've got to always keep that in remembrance as we serve in the church, as we uh, serve in, in the community for South Coast Christian, as we continue to be a light in the darkness. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. We all serve Christ together. We don't serve Christ alone. We are the body of Christ. We submit to one another and love one another because of our devotion and our love for Jesus. We live selflessly because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about my gifts. It's about God's gift in me. Did you catch that? So many times we make things about my gifts. No, no. It's the gift that God has given to you. It's his gift. It's his blessings. It's his goodness. It's his love that has changed my life. Do I have a testimony? Do I ever out there say amen to that? Ah, Thank you. I I was hoping so. As Paul writes later on in these chapters, Paul writes these words, Without God's love, I am nothing. Think about that thought. Without God's love, without the redemptive plan, without him coming from heaven to earth to be a sacrifice for my sins, I am really nothing without God. Hence the title, One for All and All for One. I don't care if it's corny, it's true. So there. So if you, um, if you thought the difficult scriptures of 1 Corinthians were behind us, you thought wrong, okay? 
We are entering into a passage of Scripture that is probably one of the more complicated uh, Scriptures to interpret. But I'm more convinced than ever that we need to teach from these passages for the church to receive greater clarity. We shouldn't ignore these passages. We need to embrace these passages so that when people are reading God's Word, which I'm asking you guys to read God's Word, when you come to God's Word, you go like, whoa, what in the world is happening here? We need to spend time to interpret these Scriptures. Many times we only want to focus on our favorite scriptures that are easy to understand. But I believe when we ignore scripture that is either difficult or to obey or difficult to understand, we create immature Christians that are not fully developed. Believers who continue to crave milk instead of craving solid food. You would never want your baby to stay a baby. I mean, babies are cute, although when they're infants, sometimes they look like little aliens. But most of the time, when they're newborn, come on, be honest, when they come out of that cone head and everything else, they can be a little scary once in a while. But they get cute, okay, just be, the, come on, lighten up. They get cute. But we would never want our ch- child or our baby just to stay as a baby. We'd want that baby to develop and to mature and to be a strong and vibrant adult. Amen? We don't want them to always be a baby. Nor should you in your spiritual life want to remain a baby. You would want to grow and continue to develop and to mature as a strong Christian that can share God's wisdom to others. That's what we're called to do is to grow. Let's not run away from God's word. Let's run towards God's word, even if it's difficult. I've broken today's message into two main thoughts. And those two thoughts are order and worship. Say that with me. Order and worship. The Apostle Paul really mingles these together throughout this passage of Scripture. They're co-mingled. They're together. And there's a reason they're together but for the sake of being able to, to, to run through this passage, I've kind of separated it so that we can talk about them individually. And therefore, what's going to happen today as I share this scripture, I'm not reading the entire passage. I'm going to encourage you to read that passage at some t- point today. I'm going to read most of it. But I'm going to read it in sections. I'm going to go kind of back and forth. So it's going to be a little bit back and forth. But we're studying 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 16. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible out today or a device that you uh, read your Bible from, I encourage you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go ahead and start with verses 2 through 3 today. It says, the Apostle Paul writes, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. But there is one thing that I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ." The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. I think we just need to pray right here because this is going to get difficult from here on out. Let me just pray. I'm teasing. I'm teasing, but I'm not teasing. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Um, By the power of your Holy Spirit, um, I pray for each and every one of us to receive your word and let your word change our heart and our mind. I pray, God... It would not be confusing, but God, it will be revelation to us. That God, it will bring light to darkness. Lord God, that it will bring understanding, Lord God, when maybe there's confusion. I pray, God, that today that we walk away once again changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. In verse 2, it seems that Paul is once again responding again to the letter that was sent to him. We talked about this. There was a letter that was sent to him. 
by the church of Corinth asking some questions. We don't have that letter. What we have is 1 Corinthians, which is the Apostle Paul's response to that letter. And it seems that they had written to Paul that they often think of Paul, the very best of Paul, and they try their best to follow uh, Paul's teachings. And for that statement, Paul is grateful. But then Paul quickly brings up a teaching point that seems to be missing in the church at Corinth. Once again, we don't know all the details, but Paul feels like it needs to be addressed. Paul brings up the topic of headship or authority. Now, some have taken this scripture out of the context and used this statement to mean that Paul is stating that men are superior to women, which embraces this whole male chauvinistic thinking. But that's not what Paul is stating here at all. There are too many scriptures that speak to the equality of all for all people. And I want to talk about that for just a moment because Jesus was an advocate for women and the Apostle Paul, I believe, was an advocate for women. Remember, Paul is the one who wrote in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, that there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all equal in the family of God. We all have the same privileges in our relationship with Jesus. Genesis 1.27 states, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The wording God created man in his own image, translated in the NIV, talks about mankind. In the New Living Translation, it says that word man is translated as as um, human beings. The idea is not focused on man, but on humanity. It's, it's seen in the last part of this verse where he says, male and female, he created them. We are both created, male and female, by God. Can I get an amen? There is equality. Mankind or humanity is the only part of creation that was created in the image of God. All the rest of creation that we see, was not created in God's image. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The animals are great. We want, we're so thankful for them. I'm thankful for the, all the plants and the trees and the ocean and everything else. But the only, things that were cre- the only thing that was created in God's image is humanity. That's it. And Jesus affirms this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, when he was talking with the Pharisees, and they were asking about uh, Jesus about the legalities of divorce. And Jesus responds to them in Genesis. He responds back to the scripture we were reading in Genesis, basically, and says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And then in verse 28, Jesus states that when they were united, the two shall become one flesh. I'm going somewhere, so just stay with me. What I'm trying to share here, it, Jesus didn't speak about the, our differences. It speaks of our equality and unity. Both male and female bear the image of God. Yes, we are different in gender. That's obvious. Hopefully it's obvious. But we are equal in God's eyes, created in God's image. Jesus tells us, and this is something I want to transition to, Jesus tells tells us that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are created in the image of God in a spiritual form, in the sense of how we can love and how we can communicate. And all these different things, our soul, our spirit, is in his image. He doesn't necessarily, because God, Jesus says God is spirit, 
means that God doesn't necessarily possess physical human characteristics. But the Bible, if you read scriptures, uses the pronoun he to refer to God. But this doesn't mean that God has a masculine body. God is spirit. So we're walking through some stuff here. So hopefully everybody's everybody staying with me right now. But we also must recognize that throughout the Bible, God is referred to as our heavenly father. Even when Jesus went to pray, he prayed to his heavenly father. He, God is represented to us as a father. Jesus prayed to his heavenly father. This is the predominating theme of who God is. Yet in scripture, we see God described with terminology that many times describes the attributes of a mother. I'm going somewhere. Follow me. In Isaiah, God states, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. In Deuteronomy, God is described as an eagle who cares for her young. I share this because the wonderful attributes of God are found in both male and female. Once again, both male and female are created in the image of God. But in verse 3, and this is where we're going to start coming to this passage of Scripture, that sometimes as you read through 1 Corinthians, especially this chapter, chapter 11, can be very confusing. Verse 3, Paul understands that God created order, not disorder. Because with order, without order, there is chaos. Have you ever been in, I've been in a church that doesn't have order. I've been in a church where all of a sudden you walk in, you can just feel like, man, there is conflict going on in this church. There is, and you know what? That doesn't honor God. God didn't create disorder or want disorder. He, from the very beginning in creation, he created order. In fact, when he gave us charge of the garden, he said, you know what, we were supposed to go and lead and name the animals. He wanted us to go and do the same thing, create order, not disorder. So if you're creating disorder in people's lives or in the church or in your work or whatever else, that is not of God. God is a God of order. So just, just that was free. No, no extra charge for that one there. <laughs> Paul understood that God created order, but it appears that in the church in Corinth, they were struggling with disorder, and Paul is trying to restore order by giving directions to the church. These next verses can be confusing at best uh, and can be very difficult to interpret. Some of the greatest Bible scholars have struggled over the meaning of this, of this passage, but and even Peter himself, in Peter, uh, 1 Peter 3.16, he admits that, man, some of Paul's writings, man, they're hard to understand. <laughs> and so, hey, I can be with Peter sometimes. But I believe what Paul was establishing was he was establishing order by defining God-given roles. Let's go back to that scripture. The head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, it's important to realize and to understand those Greek words, man, woman, can be translated often, it's about 50-50, they can also be translated husband and wife. Which if you read this in the context of that context, husband and wife, it brings a little bit of a different viewpoint um, of maybe what Paul was trying to communicate. We're not sure. Bottom line, it appears that the church in Corinth lacked respected authority roles and Paul was reestablishing order to the church through God's order of creation. 
through God's order of creation. We see this in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for the first man didn't come from woman. The first man didn't come from woman. We came from dirt, guys. But the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. Now, once again, we can't look at this from a perspective of value. We can't think of this from a value perspective. It's, it's from a perspective of order. Again, as we read verse, in verse 3, even Jesus was under the authority of the Heavenly Father. Who was the head of Jesus? It was God, the Heavenly Father. Um, the head of Christ is God. And we would never see, and I want you to think about this thought, we would never see Jesus as being less valuable than God. We see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as equally important even though they serve in different roles. I'm going somewhere. Follow along with me. The Gospel of John begins with these words. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Speaking of Jesus, when you hear about the Word, it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. It's capitalized W. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Talking about the divinity of Jesus. Jesus was God. In similar thinking, I want you to kind of grab a hold of this thought. We are all part of the body of Christ. We all have equal value in God's body, the body of Christ. But there is order, not disorder, in the body of Christ. And God has created a structure for the purpose of order. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that structure. Are you guys still with me here? Okay. But if you're viewing this structure from a value perspective, we're going to go back down this road because I know a lot of people struggle with this, then you will see yourself as either less valuable or more valuable of, than an, another person. From a woman's perspective, it could appear that Paul's teaching is kind of demeaning to you, but I don't believe that's the case or that's the heart of Paul at all in this passage of Scripture. And I believe Paul tries to clarify that in verses 11 and 12. Listen to verses 11 and 12. He states, But among the Lord's people... Women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born of a woman. Can I hear a man from the women? And everything comes from God. He's trying to clarify. He's talking about order, not value. Paul is declaring we need each other. We are not independent of each other. For the body of Christ to function in right order, we need both men and women serving God passionately and their love for God being displayed. Amen? We need each other. Roles are important, but they don't represent value. A father's role is very important to a family, but it doesn't mean that it's more important than the mother's role is to the family. We, I mean, if you're a guy out there, you, you're so grateful to have a mom at home. Amen? Those times when the little one gets hurt, they, who do they cry? They don't usually cry for daddy. Mom! They want mommy. So we both have different roles. And we need all roles within the church serving together. One for all and all for one. Paul was restoring order in the Corinthian church that had been lost. His desire was to bring their focus back to Jesus. Not to have their focus on other things that don't bring God's, God glory. And it should remind us to never be in the business of creating disorder. Let's strive together to create order and unity 
so that we can create an environment where God's, God's word, our worship, can be a blessing to God. Amen? I want to transition and talk about the worship side of this passage. And there's some confusing statements that Paul shares. Uh, at least it can be confusing. And I think it's important that we discuss the meaning to help eliminate some of the confusion that's possible. And let's just dive into it. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes, A man dishonors his head. And some of you probably go, Man, I've been wanting someone to preach on this passage. Okay, here we go. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all of her hair. But since it is shameful, shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off, cut or her hair shaved, she should wear a covering. What in the world does all this mean? Paul is referencing a cultural belief of Paul's day. And it's puzzling for us because our understanding of hair is so very different from the first century in Paul's day, what they understood uh, their beliefs about hair. In the Greco-Roman culture, a woman's hair had much to do with her beauty, and it is today as well. But it also had much to do with their, their thought of the, the longer the woman's hair, the more fertile that she would be, the more fruitful she would be. Therefore, a woman with her hair down was seen as very provocative. I know that we can't understand that in today's culture, but in their culture, a woman's hair being worn down was seen as very provocative. Most women wore head coverings in public to honor their husbands and not to bring attention to themselves or not to dishonor their husband by being too provocative in front of somebody else. Prostitutes or women engaged in pagan worship would often remove their head covering and let their hair be seen so that they could, be, that they could say, hey, I'm available. Remember Paul's writing to a hypersexual culture of Corinth. And it appears that women were starting to remove their head coverings in church services. Oh, the scandal that was taking place. <laughs> Woo! I was a little kid. Okay, I'm just going off topic. When I was a little kid, we used to, I used to go to church when they used to wear the bass of hats, you know. And I remember thinking, sitting behind someone in the hat. I couldn't see a thing. I thought, man, she needs to remove that. I'd be against God, Paul's scripture here. Now, Paul doesn't give us a why, but it could be that they saw their freedom in Christ as liberation from cultural customs. We don't know that for sure. But Paul does reference that at the end of, this, at the end of his teaching, it's very interesting how Paul ends this passage of teaching in verse 16. He says, and I just love this, I just real, this is authentic. But if anyone wants to argue about this, <laughs> he's ready for the argument. I simply say that we have no other custom. I want you to catch that. We have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. Paul is presenting this teaching as a custom. For their culture, it was seen as questionable for women not to wear head coverings. Now, I don't want to be inappropriate, but the custom for this church is not for women to wear bikinis. At church, okay? It's just probably not appropriate. It's going to be hard for many to focus and worship God, amen? And even worse, hey, guys, you're not wearing your Speedos either, okay? It's not, that's going to be even worse. We're not even going to have a church left, okay? 
But you understand that culture shares a lot of things. We, we don't understand what Paul is saying here because the hair doesn't, we don't see it that way. But in those days, it was provocative. So I'm just kind of bringing that back in that direction. It would be a distraction to the body of Christ. And Scripture promotes modesty. Modesty in public settings. Now I'm going to share a scripture with you, and it might offend someone. And if it does, I just want you to remind you that scripture. It's not me, it's God's word. And many, maybe many of you have never heard this scripture. But Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman, woman without discretion. Let me read it again. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Discretion is honorable attribute that highlights a woman's beauty. We should all worship, not bringing attention to ourselves, but when we come to worship, when we come to church, both men and women, our attention needs to be on the Almighty. Our attention needs to be on Jesus. It shouldn't be about everybody else that's around. And if we're bringing attention to ourselves, guess what? We're taking the focus off of Jesus. Another scripture to review here from the passage is verse 7. It says, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for a man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory, and a woman reflects man's glory. That's an interesting passage of Scripture. Again, as we know from reading verse 16, Paul is talking about customs in the church. In fact, this seems opposite of Jewish customs, where it was common for Jewish men to wear hats while they were praying in the synagogue. And this is an interesting statement by the Apostle Paul. But I believe the idea that he's presenting is, a, is man was created, was first created in God's image from the dust of the ground. And woman was created in God's image, but from the rib of Adam. And I shared this a while back. During creation, when God was creating all the different things, the heavens, the earth, the animals, the plants, and everything else, God said each creation was good until he created man. And then when God created man, he said it was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. Something was missing in God's creation, and it was woman. And the female, the woman, guess what? Brings a wholeness in the sense of God's creation. He recognized it can't just be with male. I read an interesting perspective on this whole idea of man reflecting God's glory and the woman reflecting man's glory, because I was really struggling to understand this whole thought. And I, and I read this interesting article, and I can't read the whole thing, it's way too long. But I'm going to try to summarize this thought because I think it might be helpful for us. If we take the idea of, uh, the idea of marriage, which is part of the picture of Genesis chapter 2 when I read earlier, male and female, God created us both. It's the husband's responsibility to rightly represent Christ as the head of his home. Again, we should not think of value, but we need to think about role. Ephesians 5 conveys the idea that the husbands are to rightly represent the same self-sacrificing love that Christ represented to all of us when he went to the cross to die for our sins. We should serve with that same idea of sacrifice. It's an act of redemption that reflects God's glory. Wives represent the people of God who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And I want you to catch this thought. It's interesting. I'm not saying this is... I'm just bringing an idea out. Their willingness to submit to the authority of the husband reflects the same willingness that we must have in submission to Christ. It's a reflection of God's order 
and it reflects the glory of man. We will never get into heaven until we are willing to submit to Christ. It's a beautiful reflection if you see that in that direction. The bond between husband and wife is meant to reflect the intimacy between Christ and his church. The last thought I want to share with you is from verse 10. Paul writes these words. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. Again, tough stuff, man. Where do we go from here? We must remember again that this was the custom of the day for women to wear coverings on their head. But what's the thought about the statement that just kind of jumps out to you? Because the angels are watching. What does that mean? And there's a lot of different perspectives from Bible scholars on this thought, but I'm just kind of a simple and dumb person. I'm just telling you the angels are watching. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. The angels are watching. That's the takeaway. Think about that thought. See, I think so many times we forget angels are part of those who are worshiping God. The angels are worshiping God. In Psalms it states, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. When Jesus was born, it was the angels who appeared to the shepherds singing and praising to God. Glory to, the, glory to God in the highest. We know that angels are watching us because the Bible states there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In 1 Peter 1, Peter writes about the living hope that is found in Jesus. And in verse 12, it states that even the angels are eagerly watching. They are excited for us. Do you know that you have angels watching over you? You have angels that are excited, that are going like, yes, you can do it. They are rooting on humanity. They want us to put our faith in Jesus Christ because they see that there is a salvation plan made away through Jesus Christ. And they are not against us, they're for us. Fallen angels are against us, but not God's angels that are in heaven. They are for us, and they're watching us. As you read through Scripture, you realize that angels are part of God's army. They are in battle with us, desiring for us to win. We know Gabriel's in battle with us, desiring for us to win. Paul's desires that we never dishonor God in our worship. What does it look like for the angels when they look down and we're displaying disorder or we're displaying not modesty or whatever? Let's not offend the angels who have done so much. Guess what? Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord in brokenness and in humility and in love. Say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Paul's desire is that we never dishonor God in our worship and for our worship to always bring glory to God. So kind of conclusion on this whole thought is those two things. Church should be of order and church should be of worship. And those two things, when we get them right together, there is beautiful worship that takes place when there's order in the body of Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful, it's effective, and it changes the lives of people. Even the difficult scriptures that sometimes, Lord, we read and we don't always understand, and some of it maybe it's because of the different time frame of culture, your word still 
passes through all time. And Lord, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can read, Lord God, and help to interpret and to receive your word. We do know this, God, that you are God, you are not a God of disorder. And I pray over every person here today that, Lord, we would learn to put order in our life. Order not just in the church, but, God, I pray for order in people's homes where maybe there's chaos right now because our focus is not on you. It's on other things, on all these distractions, on our job, on, on, on our relationship, and, and we're in our children. And, and with all this disorder is taking place and there's chaos. And what Paul is trying to say in this passage of Scripture, I believe, Lord, is for all of us, man, let's get our home right. Let's put order back there. Let's put you first. You are the head of all things, Lord God. Let's put the order in place where, with a husband and a wife where we can raise up godly families who love you. I pray, God, a blessing over each and every home here today where there may be chaos. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will start revealing order. Help us to implement that in each and every one of our lives. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 God good? All the time. He is faithful and he is good. We have the opportunity to take communion today. And if you're watching us online, uh, if you just take a moment and just go ahead and grab some bread, take some juice. We'd love for you to join us. Communion is such an important role in our lives. The Bible really um, commands us to be able to take communion on a regular basis. Why do we do so, Pastor Tom? We take communion to always remember and to never forget the sacrifice that Jesus did for you and for me. That without his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, your sins, my sins, we have no hope. And I love hope. I love that I have the, my hope is in Jesus Christ. It can't be anywhere else. It's in him. And so we take communion in remembrance of him. And understanding that, and I say, I've shared this before, I share it on a regular basis, but it's upon a life that I could not live. I mean, I couldn't live a perfect life. Jesus could. And it's upon a death I could not die. Because I wasn't perfect, I couldn't die the death that was going to forgive the sins of all the world. Only Jesus could do it. It's upon that life, upon that death, that my sins are forgiven, that I have reconciliation with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. That's why we do communion. We do it so we can remember the sacrifice Jesus did for you and for me. If you're not um, a follower of Jesus, I encourage you not to partake in communion today. Um, and if I just encourage you in this moment, if you have any offense in your heart, let's just take a moment and uh, just ask God to say, you know what, God, let me lay that down. Let me lay that down because I don't need that in my heart. I want this just between you and me. And God, forgive me for my offense. Can we just take a moment and do that here for just a second? I know it might feel awkward, but I think it's so important as we take communion. Amen. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness over each and every one of us. I pray, God, for the wrongs that we may have committed. God, I, we thank you for the grace that covers us. But, God, we also stand before you humbled and repentive and knowing that the only way is through you. 
And today, Lord God, we take communion to honor you. Will you take the bread with me? The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, broken, bruised for you and for me. In Scripture, it says, by his stripes we are healed. I think first and foremost, the healing is spiritually, that we have salvation. But there is so much more that God can offer to you when you start walking with Christ. God will be with you through each and every situation. And I just encourage you today, I've done this before, I'm going to do it today. If you just need a touch in your life, emotionally, spiritually, or maybe physically, I want you to stand today as we take communion and just say, and it's really just saying, Lord, I just need you. And I, rep- I know that it was your broken body that, was, that went to the cross for me. And God, I thank you for that. So if you need healing in your body, if you, if you need just a spiritual breakthrough, if, if you're, whatever it might be, just stand here today and believe in faith. Because I think about the cross. I think about the sacrifice he made. It wasn't light. So you know what? It gives me all the more desire to run to Jesus. Amen? Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice you made 2,000 years ago. We don't really can't even comprehend or understand. But we know, Lord, it happened and you were willing to sacrifice your life for each and every one of us. Your body was broken and bruised. And we're sorry, but we're thankful. We're so thankful that you were willing to go through that process for each and every one of us here today. Lord, we take this bread representing your body. We take this in remembrance of you. Will you partake? Will everybody stand with me today? The cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. We have juice in here. But that juice represents the blood that ran down that cross 2,000 years ago. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no remission of sins. That's why in the Old Testament we saw so much sacrifice. It was brutal. Continual sacrifice of animals to appease God's righteousness, judgment. But when Jesus came and his blood shed down that cross, it was once and for all. We have forgiveness eternal for all of eternity. If you have your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins. Now, come on, somebody. That's, a, that's an amen right there. Come on. When you make a mistake tomorrow, God has you. Stop doing it, but God has you. When you make a mistake a month from now, God has you. It was through this, the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for the shed blood. And, Lord, we take this today in remembrance of you. Let's just give the Lord a big round of applause and a big, just a gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you that we find forgiveness in you, Lord. We love you, Lord. This church absolutely adores you, Lord. We adore you, we love you, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to serve you today. Thank you for being with us. And today, God, we close this worship service worshiping you, the one true God. Worship with us today. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. 
And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.